out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all things energy policy and politics in Missouri and beyond. I'm Executive Director James Owen, coming to you live on tape from the palatial Renew Missouri studios in beautiful Northern Columbia. I am um, I'm absent. I've, I've got some absence in my uh, in my booth today. Uh, Danielle Wilson is our office manager slash producer. She is leaving. We will be transitioning to a new office manager. Uh, so I am going to be trying to do these um, uh, these recordings by myself for a little bit, just so I um, learn how to actually run things at this uh, at this place. Uh, <laughs> so I don't have a producer with me, and nor do I have any other guests in uh, my. Uh, in my periphery here, but I do, we do have a very special guest, uh, someone I've known for about four years now, uh, someone who is, is really does a good job of covering environmental issues and utility issues uh, here in Missouri. Um, Bryce Gray uh, with the uh, St. Louis Post-Dispatch. He is coming to us from his undisclosed location. <laughs> uh, Bryce, how are you today? Uh, very good. Uh, thanks for the flattering introduction, and yeah, I'm really uh, psyched to be here, uh, at least virtually, as a guest. Uh, thrilled to make it on to something like this. This is awesome. Yeah, great. I mean, I know that you know everybody and their brother has a podcast now, but I, I like the fact that we kind of uh, focus on, you know, it's kind of a niche issue of, of dealing with uh, energy policy in Missouri, kind of sometimes veering into energy policy in the Midwest. Um, and I think, you know, I remember, I feel like I met you, you were doing this beat. I think you started like about four years ago, yeah, summer of 2016. Correct. You, yeah. You come from Montana, I think. Um, yeah. Well, I've kind of bounced around to a bunch of places in my, uh, sort of journalism career, Montana being one of them, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so like, what would you say if somebody was asking you what, what is your, what is your beat, uh, for the post-dispatch? Yeah. Um, cover uh, my official job title is energy and environment reporter so cover a lot of energy and uh, <laughs> a lot of environmental stuff but a lot gets lumped into that umbrella um, you know uh, being here in uh, just given sort of the corporate landscape of St. Louis uh, you know right. Santo now bear you know they get lumped in so a lot of ag issues find their way into my beat um, yeah of course you know Peabody and we're kind of the hometown of corporate coal yeah, that's reflected in, uh, you know, the generation of places like Ameren and stuff. So uh, energy is certainly a huge part of that. Um, and lately, of course, uh, you know, maybe just this is true of journalists everywhere, but been covering a lot of coronavirus stuff these past few months, but uh, still, uh, you know, try to find my ways back to my sort of home beat uh, whenever I can. Yeah. And so now I'm, I'm kind of interested when you got assigned that, is that something that you had had previous experience with or is that something that was just interesting to you or is that just something that they needed to fill, uh, you know, a need there for? Uh, yeah, I'm really lucky the way it's worked out because this had always been uh, my main interest and, um, you know, academically, I guess, uh, you know, this was where my background was, mm -hmm. was oriented toward. Um, so, you know, as an undergrad, I wasn't like a journalism major or anything. Uh, right. Environmental studies is what I pursued. Uh, and I'd known for quite a while, I'd always wanted to sort of pursue, um, you know, these sort of broader questions, especially having to do with energy and stuff like that. And right. luckily was able to uh, sort of 
you know, veer that way um, over time. Of course, you know, when I started at that small town paper in Montana, as you'd mentioned, uh, you know, I was, of course, just a general assignment reporter there in a, a very small newsroom. But yeah, luckily, I've been able to sort of, you know, steer my way back toward that, uh, uh, I guess, area of pseudo expertise, at least. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, which means that um, on occasion you you will work on a topic or work on a story that um, kind of has a mutual interest to our group as well as to your readers, and and that kind of happened this week when uh, someone shared with me an, an article you wrote in regards to uh, you know, and this isn't necessarily something that uh, really perfectly translates to us, but you were talking about how heat. And how the upcoming I kind of I think we're we're looking at some increased temperatures here in Missouri uh, in July and August are going to have an impact on our electricity grid. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, did you? Is this a? So I kind of want to just get into the um, kind of maybe a little bit into your process. I mean, is that something you pitch to an editor? Is that something that an editor asks you to look into? I mean, how did that story come to come to bear? Yeah. Well, uh, this one was a, a little unconventional too for us in a, a sense that, you know, the study actually came out uh, several months ago over the winter, um, you know, and it, it had been in our back pocket around the the time that I think we were planning to run it probably, you know, early March or so, right when coronavirus sort of reared its head. So, uh, <laughs> you know, this is not our, our typical playbook, but... Uh, uh, you know, it was sort of derailed while everyone was hopelessly distracted for several months there. And right. uh, the story was still more or less written. And so figured, well, we might as well dust it off, uh, especially, you know, now that we're in uh, the hottest part of the year and everything. But um, but to answer your question about how it initially came onto the radar, yeah. um, this was just, uh, I was uh, talking to, you know, someone immersed in the Missouri energy world uh, back in the winter, and they'd mentioned, oh, you know, there was even this, this Moody's investor report from uh, um, that surfaced and talked a lot about heat stress and how Missouri's utilities are going to be, at least according to this report, yeah. uh, sort of uniquely vulnerable or uniquely stressed uh, in just the next decade or two. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so that had sort of, you know, planted the seed. And right. then I turned around and mentioned to my editor, hey, you know, this sounds newsworthy. Let's cook something up on it and yeah. take it from there. Well, so, okay, let's talk about this report a little bit. I mean, and, and we will, when we send out this email, we're going to send this out to all our supporters. We're going to put this on social media uh, and we'll make sure that we link a, I, I know I sent, I think I sent out a link uh, to your article from our Missouri Power for Health uh, webs, uh, our Twitter account this week. That's a new thing we're doing, um, kind of talking about uh, efficiency issues and that seemed relevant to this. So let's talk a little bit about this report, which, uh, you'll talk about in your article, but what, okay, so this came from Moody's. So this isn't like just a bunch of liberal troublemakers that filed this report. <laughs> so what, so I, so it was about the grid. It was about grid. I mean, would you say it's about grid reliability? Is it about grid uh, just, you know, contingencies? I mean, how would you describe what this report was, was doing? What was, what was the purpose of writing this report? Yeah, I guess, um, well, 
I'm trying to think back to their precise definition of heat stress, but um, you know, basically it was looking at sort of how projected uh, cooling degree days when you need to, you know, turn on the AC and you know get the AC blast in. Um, it was looking at how cooling days are projected to change in across the country in a given area um, in the next decade or two. Uh, and then, you know, it outlined that um, when that happens, that, uh, you know, when the temperature rises, that increases stress on the mm -hmm. grid just, uh, just simply because demand goes up, uh, right. efficiency of transmission goes down, you get issues such as, you know, kind of rolling blackouts, brownouts, and, uh, you know, cooling water at plants uh, can become problematic, uh, you know, in extreme cases. It, it outlined this list of things that can and do go wrong in extreme heat. And, you know, thanks to global warming and uh, climate change, you know, we can expect more of that as this, uh, as this study laid out. Uh, yeah. Or as this report laid out, uh, I should say so. Yeah, now it seems to me that like <clears throat> that this is a com this would be a common problem for most utilities. But I think you said something in your earlier description about how Missouri's utilities kind of had a unique threat or concern here. I mean, can you kind of elaborate on what that means? Yeah, and so um, so this uh, report um, was prepared on a nationwide basis. Um, and odd, I found it odd or striking that, uh, um, you know, it included a little a map colored in and Missouri was like, uh, Missouri and sort of surrounding parts of maybe, you know, a little bit of Illinois, Iowa. Uh, we were kind of this red bullseye um, that was maybe matched by like extreme South Florida and stuff. But for the most part, uh, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of yellow, orange, red on this, uh, um, on this map. So there was trouble sort of all over the place, but right. it was interesting to me that Missouri, uh, seemed to, um, evidently be in for the greatest increase in these cooling degree days and, you know, thereby the greatest increase in heat stress, according to this report, um, there is a little skepticism, I should say, about that. You know, I, I talked to a, a guy with, uh, you know, the National Weather Service and NOAA, and uh, right. he had explained that, um, you know, he didn't see why Missouri would be any more vulnerable to uh, increases in heat than, okay. than anywhere else. So, um, so perhaps take that with a grain of salt. But at the same time, other people said, well, you know, this is what we're expecting. We're expecting to deal with more of this heat stress. Uh, and we're, you know, see, seeing some of those issues rear their head on occasion. Uh, but anyway, the reason these Missouri utilities top the list is just because um, at the issue, our state, interestingly, uh, was topping the chart for the, uh, the increase in these cooling degree days that's anticipated over the next decade or two. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, it's not like Ameren, Evergy, and, you know, Missouri's main utilities are, are doing something wrong or anything like that. It, it's just sort of by virtue of them being, uh, having their service territories in this area where, uh, at least according to this report, um, uh, you know, that heat stress is going to get cranked up. 
Okay, so I mean, so you, when you when you were doing research for this article, you did talk to weather experts. You did talk to people who were looking at temperatures, and they said it wasn't anything unique there. And you know, when you're, you're talking to, and, and let, let's make sure we clarify for our audience the uh, the three major utilities in Missouri. Uh, when you look at the big players, the privately owned ones are Ameren, Missouri, which is based out of St. Louis, mm-hmm. Evergy Metro, and Evergy West, which are based out of Kansas City. And Liberty Empire, which is based out of Joplin. I mean, there's, I mean, as our listeners, all ten of them are used to me going through this litany of <laughs> municipal utilities and co-ops and everything else. But that's those are the three big ones. And I know you talked to representatives from Ameren and Evergy for your for your report, for your article. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's not. So I mean, so I guess what I'm trying to figure out if it's not something unusual at the temperature, it's not unusual for the utility management uh, necessarily uh what is what how was moody's characterizing when you talk about these colors I mean, like we have orange and yellow and red as you described there's kind of a bullseye over our area i mean how did they measure that what were measurements were they using to determine this if the report got into that uh, you're talking about uh, what was Moody's measuring that with, yeah. or what was like, you know, yeah. okay. Yeah, what was what was what was Moody saying? Like, this is why we would color something red. <laughs> yeah, um, I think it was just that again that um, our area, you know, in and maybe around the very sort of fringes outside of Missouri, uh, were uh, expected to see the biggest rise in days where we're gonna need to mm. you know crank that ac uh, okay in the next decade or two so yeah um again i was a little you know curious about well why you know why would we see that and even farther south you know arkansas they might be spared that right that extra or you know they're gonna get more heat too but maybe just not as much according to this report um yeah so uh, I guess that was how they had sort of quantified it or justified their coloration yeah. of that bullseye and everything. Or do you think, and I mean, I'm just kind of like speculating here, and I know you've got a little bit of background on this, so I don't want you to speculate on something that you wouldn't know, but like, let's say like if you're in Arizona or Texas or New Mexico or anywhere in the South where you're used to it being hot anyway, mm-hmm. like it's going to be hot, it's going to be humid. Uh, and maybe if it gets hotter by like another couple of degrees, that's not going to have as much of an impact on how utilities operate as it would like say in Missouri where, yeah, it's hot here. Mm-hmm. It is traditionally, uh, we have warm summers mm-hmm. um, and I'm not from St. Louis and I really lived in St. Louis, but I know it's very humid there. Um, someone told me it was one of the most humid cities in the country. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but you know, is it that possible that because we also live in the state that, is also we're used to having, you know, we have decent win- we have decent winters where you get some pretty significant uh, temperature drops, or we have. Um, is it just that that's going to have more of an impact because we are more moderately, you know, we have more of a moderate temperature range here, and if it gets worse, then we're just not ready for that, or we've never been prepared for that? I mean, what do you think about that? You know, there, there could be, I mean, this is speculation, but there could be a, I guess, truth to that, um, you know, when you look at warming trends overall, it's, you know, northern places that, uh, you know, are seeing sort of the greatest increases in 
average warmth, a lot of that having to do with sort of just, you know, winters are warming up more and everything. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, Minnesota, for instance, in the lower 48 is one of those places seeing kind of the, the biggest uh, increases in average warmth. So yeah, I think, uh, you know, you might be onto something there in terms of Missouri, you know, we get, get a little bit of everything, get that <laughs> winter weather, get, yeah. you know, extreme summer heat. And so maybe, yeah, we are in this sweet spot of, uh, you know, uh, where we have enough of that cold that maybe that's subsiding to some extent. So, yeah, yeah. I think uh, you could be onto something with that theory. Yeah. And I mean, I'll tell you, I've, I've lived in uh, Missouri most of my life. Uh, I think the, the closest I ever lived outside of Missouri was when I lived about an hour away <laughs> in Kansas when I lived in Lawrence. Um, you know, what I remember, I mean, all this is completely anecdotal, is I remember as a kid in southwest Missouri, which is, you know, I think more on par with Arkansas and Oklahoma when you're talking about what the temperature there is. I remember we used to have snow. We used to have big snows. We used to have snows that packed in. And now when you look at southwest Missouri, I mean, you don't, I mean, you know, in the past couple of, of winters, we, even though we've gotten snow in Columbia where I live now, if you go south of the Lake of the Ozarks, there's nothing but ice there. I mean, so you can look at, I mean, you can just look at trends from a naked eye and see that we are seeing a shift in how weather behaves in the state. And it's safe to say, yeah, yeah, and you're bringing to mind a, a separate article that I, I did a few months ago. I, I was sort of looking at a, a snow removal companies, you know, plowing companies, stuff like that around St. Louis and how life has changed for them over over time. And, um, you know, shoot, I wish I had thought to maybe give that a peek or something now but uh, before coming on. But um, I think Springfield was actually uh, – Springfield, Missouri made the list of – I want to say like top five uh, metro areas in the U.S. for in terms of like percentage of snow loss over yeah. a time interval, maybe 30 years or something like that. But uh, yeah, so that definitely uh, backs up uh, what okay. you described as sort of your, your lived experience. Mm -hmm. I'm glad I'm not just having some nostalgia for, uh, <laughs> no, no, for I, like country winters. <laughs> no, no, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't, because I, I was, I was born and raised on a dairy farm, and I can tell you, I don't have a lot of nostalgia for when it was snowing because cows got cold, they got wet, and it was not a lot of fun milking them when you when they were like that. Um, yeah, so I'm glad that there was some actual, uh, some actual uh, science to back that up. So, because um, I also had to think, you know, when I was thinking about ice, and I think a lot about. Um, kind of energy policy and history, even before you and I got on the scene, ice storms are a real problem for utility companies as opposed to like just snow. I mean, you have some significant damage when you have ice. I remember in 2009, um, you know, a huge ice storm hit Ameren Service Territory in Southeast Missouri and did a lot of, did multi, did millions of dollars of damage to Noranda, which is the aluminum smelting plant down there, which led to a huge political upheaval about their rates and about their bill. And, and that was something that went on for almost seven years. That was a fight for seven years. And that was all over an ice storm, just pretty much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mm -hmm. mean, so I have to, yeah. So, and I think you, you did interview 
in your article, you did talk to some folks from Ameren. Let's, let's talk about them. I mean, what was their, I mean, so when they, when they look at this report and they were asked about this report, I mean, what was their, what was their general response to that, to you? Yeah, their, their general response was that, um, you know, it didn't really change anything in their eyes. They had at least, you know, uh, uh, they touted um, investments that they've been making. Evergy said much of the same thing, just, you yeah. know, hey, we've already been sort of planning for and investing in uh, changes that are going to help um, kind of, you know, buffer our system for these changes that we've already known are coming uh, and ask about, um, you know, the sort of financial outlook of things. Cause you know, this report I thought was interesting, not just for what it was describing, but just that, you know, it's kind of the latest example in you know, what's been this growing drumbeat emerging lately of very serious investor types and investor circles kind of turning a much more, uh, much more cautious, uh, you know, potentially even alarmed uh, eye, um, at least awareness to uh, two matters having to do with climate change, resilience and stuff like that. And so I, I tried to get a sense of, you know, if Ameren and Evergy being, you know, at or near the top of this list of uh, utilities that have their service territories at risk, you know, if they were feeling uh, you know, any financial heat there, you know, worried about credit impacts or something from Moody's or others. And, you know, they didn't, uh, they didn't say anything along those lines or acknowledge anything along those lines. Um, right. uh, again, keeping the focus on the fact that, you know, they've made substantial investments or commitments thus far, and they plan to continue doing that. You know, they said it's not like they're taken the eye off the ball uh, on this right. issue. They've, again, known it's going to be an issue and uh, will continue to treat it as such. Yeah, I, you know, and, and I know, and I think this kind of came up in some of the uh, comments, I think particularly from the Ameren folks that you talked to was, you know, look, two years ago they passed, there was a substantial piece of legislation that was, uh, that was passed by the House and Senate and signed by Governor Brightons at the time uh, that was, I think, kind of deemed like the Grid Modernization Act. It didn't really quite do that. I mean, some of it did, but it was really more about how they do accounting uh, and how they're able to kind of, you know, build these projects without having to wait for rate cases and that sort of thing. And I know that, you know, one of the things they said for several years when they were trying to pass that bill is, we really need to modernize our grid. You know, we really need to make sure that it's reliable and safe and everything else. And I mean, you know, and so it made me think, I mean, you know, now they're saying like the grid is in great shape. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, like if they've been able to make those kind of improvements in the past two years. Um, I mean, you know, I mean, what, I mean, do you read anything or see anything about anybody independent of what movies said about Missouri's grid? Are we in good shape? Do we have reliability or security issues? I mean, what is the general thought on that here in Missouri uh, as far as you, you can see you can tell from your work um well i think uh i guess i think a lot of the work remains to be done even with you know Ameren, for instance just i think at his february earnings call it talked about you know seven billion dollars uh that i think is mostly in the pipeline to to invest 
in sort of, you know, grid modernization, um, upgrade type stuff um, right. that they're doing. So, I, you know, I think a lot of this is stuff in the pipeline that has yet to maybe, you know, actually happen. Uh, and then, you know, there are going to be additional uh, sort of outlays of money that are needed that in Missouri, utility regulators are going to need to come along with and everything too. Um, so I get a sense that, um, I guess, you know, I can't think right now to, of any sort of very authoritative report or assessment of right. the situation in Missouri. But, you know, I think here and kind of all over the map, there's sort of a, an understanding or acknowledgement that, you know, a lot needs to be done to overhaul the grid, uh, especially given, you know, kind of the, uh, the new modern climate regimes here. Um, yeah. Of course, huge cautionary tales in places like California. I mean, obviously, we don't have the same wildfire risk and right. stuff, but uh, um, the grid, I think, is seen as, you know, a liability in a lot of places. Um, hurricanes on the, the other side of the country, uh, there's a lot of hardening that really needs to happen, I think. Um, and then, you know, there's also just purely the transmission side of the equation and, uh, you know, all the benefits that would come from improved transmission, getting yeah. uh, energy from, you know, where it needs to go, especially as more renewables come onto the scene. So uh, yeah. I don't think anyone is sort of, um, you know, uh, preparing to sit back and <laughs> let the current grid just uh you're right uh just you know take it from here i think there's a recognition that uh a lot of work can be done on it on a lot of fronts yeah and, and you know one thing that i i heard i can't i can't attribute it who said it but it, something that was striking to me i heard someone from amron say maybe last year was you know, one of the challenges they got is just, you know, trying to follow trends and how people move within their service territory. I mean, you know, you had this huge movement to the suburbs for a long time. So you had to build out transmission and distribution there. Then you had a surge of people moving back downtown. <laughs> and so you had to like start modernizing uh, services there. Now you're seeing people move even from like St. Charles County and Western St. Louis County to Franklin County and Warren County. And that's still part of Ameren service territory. So there's a, there's a process of trying to keep up with where the St. Louis metropolitan area is shifting. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. a challenge. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, this is all just such a challenge in terms of utilities can't really be reactionary, you know, just right. their size and, uh, and the nature, as you well know, of kind of the regulatory process and everything. Um, yeah. So, you know, these are the types of uh, changes and investments that, you know, need to be planned or mapped out, uh, you know, sometimes decades in advance. And uh, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. These things are like tankers. I mean, they're like, yeah. <laughs> you can't just turn them on a dime. They, mm -hmm. they do require a lot of forward thinking. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are people that we work with, um, you know, advocates that we work with that are frustrated by the change of, you know, the status of change and the pace of change. The reality is it's just change with utility companies and with the government is really slow. <laughs> yeah. It's so slow. And, and so, you know, even, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm being critical that they just passed this bill in 2018 and, you know, was that making a difference or not? I mean, you know, that's going to take several years for them to enact that. 
So it, it's, um, it's an interesting thing to think about because, you know, what I liked about your piece was that it, it, it kind of thought, it made you think about how there are these factors outside of anyone's control that we have to account for. Well, I guess we say it's out of our control. It's not really out of our control, is it, Bryce? But, <laughs> you know, but we, it's kind of, I guess I should say that things that we did several years ago or several decades ago are now we're seeing the consequences of that and we have to live with it. And that's the problem. Mm -hmm. Correct. And, yeah. And it, mm -hmm. and it should be something that people are aware of that as we move forward and we wonder why service might not be reliable is this because, well, it's just hotter than it used to be. Mm -hmm. Our summers are hotter, or you know, our winters are you know, you know, less uh, less cold. I mean, you know, those are going to be things that we have to really plan on, and I kind of wonder if we have very well. <laughs> I think for so long it was such a political talking point that it just became like noise instead of something to solve. But I don't mm -hmm. know. Did. It's kind of curious, and I, and I don't know, because I think this is still pretty new, and I just kind of wondered before we wrap up, when you talk to some of these folks at Ameren or Evergy, did they talk anything about how demand or how consumption is being, uh, is being affected by COVID? They talk about how that might be having an impact on the grid by any chance? Um, I'm sort of trying to turn some attention uh, this week even uh, to a story that tries to nail some of that stuff down. Um, uh, you know, as you might expect, it sounds like residential usage is up, right. um, uh, as you would expect with everyone at home. Um, overall, though, I think uh, I haven't been able to get actual numbers on this yet, but overall, I think, um, you know, demand has dropped, uh, you know, that residential increase has been offset, it sounds like, by commercial and industrial yeah. declines, again, as you'd expect with everyone sort of confined to home. Um, right. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to nail that down with a little more precision. Um, it'd be pretty interesting. And, you know, the, the revenue uh, yeah. sort of impacts of that are going to be something that um, our PSC and, uh, you know, places all over the country are going to be dealing with for, for quite some time. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I know. Yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. Evergy has, you know, Evergy's got a COVID, uh, you know, kind of bookkeeping issue before the PSC right now. Spire has a COVID bookkeeping issue to like how to deal with loss revenue during this period of time. Mm -hmm. The PSC has opened up a workshop. Uh, and we're kind of waiting on, you know, developing comments about how to deal with disconnections and mm -hmm. people who have not paid their bills because of economic downturn. And so mm -hmm. uh, that's something certainly Renew Missouri is focused on. So we'll be interested to see how um, you're reporting, um, uh, you know, what that reflects. Because, I mean, look, I mean, yeah, I mean, we're staying at home more. But, you know, I look at like in Evergy, they've got the Ford plant there. Uh, in in Ameren, you got the GM plant there. They haven't been making cars since March. Mm -hmm. I mean, you talk about like a, a massive power bill. Uh, you know, it's not that they're not paying, it's just they're not using as much power as they used to. And think about how much money that's losing for, for someone like Ameren or Evergy. It's, mm -hmm. it's pretty stunning. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping to get a stay tuned because, yeah, I'm hoping to get a, a sense <laughs> of this this revenue impact. And I mean, I don't know if I'll succeed uh, at least initially, maybe I'll have to wait for, you know, various 
quarterly earnings reports right. and theirs or just when you know each utility has to come before the PSC for this or that and open their books a little bit but yeah it's it's a big question with you know big time importance uh, that could shape sort of you know investment well down the line it's yeah. unclear how all this stuff is going to get handled and if anyone's wanting to know the answer of how we deal with it I think the the honest the only honest answer is we don't know yet <laughs> but we're working on it and I think you know and it is going to be like you know the utilities and regulators and, and stakeholders like us we're going to be in a room trying to sort this out so I mean it's going to be how this I mean we're going to have to chart that course so when you say stay tuned Bryce tell people how they can um, follow you on social media where can they find you yeah, uh, I am on Twitter and stuff uh, at underscore Bryce Gray. So that's, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to tag you and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, leading off with the underscore, but then right. uh, my name B R Y C E G R A Y. Yeah, uh, of course, all my articles and stuff are found online uh, at the the Post Dispatch website, um, which is linked to through my uh, my online Twitter presence anyway. So right. Um, yeah, uh, my stuff all appears in Post Dispatch, so I'd encourage you to read along if this is uh, stuff of interest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and people, and people, where can they go to subscribe online in case they don't live in St. Louis <laughs> and can't get home delivery? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, so stltoday.com is our internet arm, and uh, yeah, that's where the action happens, including where subscriptions, digital subscriptions included. Yeah. Uh, can be arranged and everything. So, um, yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. I mean, please, folks, uh, support local journalism. Um, you know, I, I know that it's it's a tough industry right now. I know that uh, there's a lot of moving parts going with that. But I mean, the reality is, when I look at everything going on in Jefferson City, and I certainly look at things going on in St. Louis, and I get frustrated sometimes when I say, "Well, there's not enough." coverage of what's going on with state government, state politics, state policy. It's just because, you know, look, they don't, I mean, there's just not the money to invest in it. And, you know, we have reporters <laughs> have like a hundred reporters talking about president Trump's tweets, but we don't, I mean, but I've read one article about the fact there's an FBI investigation involving our Lieutenant governor, you know, folks, I mean, I, you know, to me, and I mean, you've got a lot of really interesting political things going on in St. Louis with the county executive race and the, uh, the mayor's race next year. And, you know, there's great coverage of that, but we don't want that to go away. So subscribe to the Post-Dispatch, the Tribune, the Kansas City Star, Springfield Newsletter, all those people. In that regard, we also want you to support Renew Missouri. <laughs> we have our summer ask going on right now where we're trying to get you to, uh, if you do not otherwise take a char charitable deduction that you can take, um, uh, $300 deduction right now under the CARES Act, and that will be uh, above the line as a tax deduction. You can do that at renewmo.org, or you should look for that in your mailbox. If you like this podcast, and why couldn't you? Look at these guests we're getting. Um, go to Spotify, go to iTunes, and subscribe to this. Go write a review, post it on your social media platforms. Um, yeah, Bryce, again, before we sign off, thanks for taking time. Uh, to talk with us, I think I think you you cover real interesting stuff, and I can't believe I hadn't thought to have you on here before now. But so, thank you for your time. <laughs> uh, that's all right. Thanks for having me. Again.
again, uh, yeah, thrilled to, to join and, you know, always admired, if not been jealous of the fact that, you know, you host this sort of thing. Uh, Scott Roop, you know, does, yeah. uh, has done similar things trying to sort of spread the gospel of the importance of these uh, energy issues uh, in Missouri to, you know, a general audience. And I, uh, yeah, really admire that, um, you know, and it felt I should have tried to, you know, do something similar in podcast form or something, but uh, appreciate all the work that you guys do and, and for having me on. Well, maybe we should just have you on more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always happy to come talk about uh, the stuff I've been covering. So, I mean, yeah. I feel like we've still got stuff we could talk about from even this article, who knows? Uh, yeah, you know, I know. The solution side of things, you know, bringing that peak down, encouraging off peak usage. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, as with anything, there's just always so much to unfurl in these issues. So yeah, and, and like I said, we'll be we'll be sure to share that article with um, our supporters when we send this out, um, and we'll have you back on to talk more. And uh, we all, I want to thank all of you for listening. I want to thank all of you for your support. And uh, until next time, Seacrest out.